So this evening we'll go first to the book of Romans. Keep all the messages that you are hearing and uh, we'll go to chapter 8 and verse 29. 8.29 For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be confirmed to the image of his son. That is the end and the entire purpose of our salvation. God, in the beginning, even before anything was done, because He is God, He sees everything, He already knew who are the elect, who would be there with this walk at the end, and He has predestined all of us to be conformed to the image of his own son, Jesus Christ. So this is, that's, if we don't get this, we don't understand why we are here morning and evening, preaching twice a day, because we all need to conform to the image of his son, and that comes through only through the word of God, the revelation that is hidden in the scripture, which is about his son. And Romans 10 and verse 9 is uh, only the beginning of that journey of being confirmed to his image. <clears throat> if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. To confess there actually also means to completely come in agreement with the word, what he has spoken about his son and what he has done through his son. When the Bible uses the word believe, it means we put our trust fully, fully persuaded that God raised him from the dead. Okay, God raised him from the dead. So that's what it means. That in to the Corinthian church in First Corinthians and uh, five, uh, fifteen and verse seventeen, if I'm right, not five, but fifteen, seventeen. Got it? No, 15, 15, 15. Got it? No, 17, 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Okay? And you're still in your sins. So you need to realize that we are fully persuaded. Absolutely fully persuaded. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, okay, that you believe in your heart Christ is risen from the dead. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. It's without meaning. And you are still in your sins. We don't understand the depth of that statement. Your faith is in vain, it is hollow. It's a living faith. If I didn't really believe that, I wouldn't be preaching in the evening. And you would not be tuning in. Because often Christians act as if Christ hasn't risen from the dead. The simple thing is that how children behave when their father is around. 
and how children behave when their father is not around. So God is saying, do you believe in your heart Christ is risen from the dead? What does it mean? His meaning is alive and is present and is there with you. Does that factor in everything we do? So Romans 10.10, going back there, this is a continuous process, okay? Remember, it is a continuous process. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. You are living in the reality of a risen Christ who is with you, in you. And you believe in your heart, and you confess with your mouth. In Matthew 12 and verse 34, this is what Jesus said, 12.34. For out of the abundance, the second part, of the heart, the mouth speaks. What you believe? You speak. What we speak is what we believe. What we believe is what we speak. It's not what we hear. Whole faith comes from hearing. Ultimately, has it gone down into our heart? And do we believe? So, the Bible says we are saved, we are being saved, and we will be saved. From what? From unbelief. (laughs) And as this keeps happening, our confession too will keep changing. Because Christ is growing in us. Not just the knowledge of God, but that very life itself is growing, it's changing. So, in so many ways, COVID-19 is a test of our salvation test of our salvation. In Psalm 21, 27 and verse 1. Any believers, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall be I be afraid? That's why I said right from the beginning, believers have to react to this differently. We take all the precautions the government says and Okay, we have to, but that's not the point. The point is that how are we looking at it? Is the Lord my light and my salvation? Am I afraid? No. We can take all precautions without being afraid at all. Absolutely afraid at all. In John 5, verse 39 and 40, that is what Jesus is talking about. 5, 39 and 40. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life. But these are they which testify of me. But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. He says, like, every day we have been hearing four hours of scriptures preaching. But he says, everything that you hear is about me. But at the end of it, are you coming to me that you may have life? The Lord is my light and my salvation. Are you still afraid? That means we heard, but we did not go to him. Because he's the only one who can take the fear away. Take the fear. (coughs) He's the only one who can take. That's what God is talking about. We are searching the scriptures. Day and night we are hearing, studying, searching the scriptures. But he says, do you see that they testify of him? Because he says, you think in scriptures you have eternal life. He says, no. The scriptures testify of me and it's in me that you have. The scriptures should lead you to me. 
But you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. And we are willing to go to him. Then only the Holy Spirit can impart his life. So let us go to Christ tonight once again. That is through the Spirit of God for life. And we shall look at some simple but complex things. Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8. First, very simple but fundamental scripture. By grace you have been saved through faith. That is not yourself. It is the gift of God. So how have we been saved? By grace. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And Romans 8, 24. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he has seen? So, are we saved by grace, or by works, or by hope? If salvation is a gift, then why should I work out my salvation with fear and trembling? If I work out my salvation with fear and trembling, it's not a gift, it is wages. It's my salary. In James chapter 2 and verse 14, and then in verse 17, What does it profit, my brethren, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? More complex, okay. Right? We are saved by grace through faith. Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Then as if all this is not enough, Paul puts one more spanner into the works in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet as so through fire. So am I saved by grace, faith, hope, or fire? So we'll go back to the Spirit of God and to the Word of God and ask Lord, navigate us through this. First Thessalonians chapter 5. 23 and yeah, 523. Got it? May God of peace himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit, soul and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord. This is that one verse in the Bible which actually so definitely divides man into a three-part person. He's got a soul, body, spirit. He's got a soul and he's got a body. Three-part, okay? Let's go to the beginning in KJV, Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7. 2 and verse 7. Let me use illustrations. I'll use this also. Um, 2 7. And the Lord God formed man out of the dust 
of the ground and breathed into his nostrils and the breath of life and man became a living soul. Okay, spirit, soul, body. Spirit is the life of the soul and soul is the life of the body. That is what it meant God made us in his image. That is that spirit that was breathed. What happened is, when man sinned, he lost that spiritual part. Sent. That spirit cut off. Imagine a room, a house with three rooms. Spirit, soul, body. All is lighted. When man sinned, light went off. Now he's just soul and flesh. That spirit part went dark. The soul still has, because the spirit was breathed into it, the soul still has lot of knowledge of God. Whatever was initially put in, man still knows. And the body is also animated by that soul. That's why they lived so long during that time. Okay. When we think, talk about sin, the actual word in Greek is hamartia, which means fallen short of the mark. And the mark is God or Christ. The mark we can understand. Okay, Sin does not literally mean what we actually think. God has set a mark. That mark is he himself or his son. And when we sinned, we fell short of that mark. How did we sin? We transgressed God's law and fell short of his mark. Then we kept on sinning. That itself started empowering it. So you have sin, transgression, and iniquity. That's simple as that. Okay, Sin, transgression. But sin means, so all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible will say in Psalm that when he made us, he made us a little lower than the angels, but crowned us with glory. So that's the glory they lost. Okay? That's the glory they lost when they sinned. Now all he has, man has, Adam and Eve has his soulish life. Spiritual life is gone. In Genesis chapter 3 and verse 7. 3, 7. Eyes of them were both opened and they knew they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together. What happened? How did they realize they were naked? It's a different realization altogether. This is a realization of the flesh of sin coming in because the glory has gone. They were closed in glory. And they are not sowing fig leaves because of the, of the animals. It's because they are uncovered before the two realms now. The demonic realm and God's realm sees man as he is, is uncovered. Animals were not the problem. So the fig leaves repent, rep represents in so many ways all our excuses to justify ourselves. Okay, so God comes and even he questions them, they have no answer for their sin. There's no justification. Okay, so that is the covering that is gone. In Exodus 32 and verse 25, that's a KJV. Okay, stick to KJV here. 32, 25. 
And Moses saw the people were naked, for Aaron had made them naked unto their shame among their enemies. So it's not talking about the enemies, or there were nobody around there, the Israelites. It is talking about they were naked before their enemies. The demonic realm is watching. Covering is gone. This is, like I told you, this is the beginning of their fall. The rest were all got to do with food and water and all. But this is when witchcraft comes into the camp. Comes into the camp. Because the demon. That's how when they sinned, they were naked. And witchcraft comes into the into mankind. And here, into the entire camp, the power of the enemy comes because they made an idol and worshipped it. So the power of the enemy comes in over there. They are now open. And you will see they have never recovered from that. The covering has gone. So this covering is very, very important. Covering is very, very important. God gives a covering. Okay, God gives covering. And only under that covering, we are not put to shame before our enemies. So we have to understand covering is connected with headship. Okay, headship, the head. Okay, that is why when sometimes when I preach, people wonder why I am so tough against certain kinds of ministers. I'm talking about pastors or priests or anything who also dabble in witchcraft, which they do in the night. Because when they do, the covering they give their people, the people do not realize that it doesn't matter how great their preaching is, they are already open to witchcraft. Because the head is dabbling in witchcraft. So the people, their covering has gone. That's how they... You think about it. If you look at all these ministries, billions and billions have been spent. They have people listening to them in their millions. But the the people of... Unbelief is only increasing in the world. It is not uh, decreasing. Have you noticed? The power of witchcraft is only increasing. And these nations, Christian nations, have only gone more and more and more and more into darkness and rebellion. Actually gone into more and more and more rebellion. You need to realize, hey, how come this man has such huge, this man is talking about one billion souls and this thing. But what is happening over here? And you will realize it's got to do with the covering. So we have to be very, very, very careful, you know, very, very careful. So once you are gone, Hebrews 9, man has sinned. The covering is gone. He's naked. Hebrews 9 and verse 22 says, There is only one option for sin. Almost all things are by the law purged with blood because without the shedding of blood, there is no remission. Okay? So God gives a temporary solution. That is the blood of the animals because we know it <coughs> because life is in the blood. That's why he gave this rule, do not eat blood. But God's eternal plan was something else. This was temporary. Eternal would be Jesus Christ. One sacrifice, he would make people perfect. So if you go to Titus 3.5, <coughs> this is how he would save us. 3.5. Not by the works of the righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of generation and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. Okay. Mercy and grace. Okay. So now we are not just saved by grace alone. We are saved by mercy too. Okay. So there are so many things. There is mercy. There is grace. There is faith. There is hope. And there is fire. If you go further down, there is water also. <laughs> okay. But we are saved by mercy and grace. And what happens the spirit, light has come back again. Light has come. 
that dark part, the Holy Spirit comes. Now there is Dimake nahi, Atma ke bati jal gaya. Dimake bati nahi. You have now, light is back. Now you are back to a proper three-part being. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and you have a body. Functional. Till this happened, till Jesus came and did, the law was given as a restrainer. Restrainer, till Jesus came. While the second realm was working incessantly on man. The demonic realm is not interested in animals. They are not interested. Even if you send them to the swine, the swine will go over the cliff and go. They are not interested in animals. They are interested in man. Because the devil knows when God breathed into man's soul, the soul has incredible power. Because God breathed his life. Okay, he became a living. That's why man's inventions are mind-blinding. Mind-blinding inventions and stuff he does. And no animal does it. Okay, no animal does it. So the devil knows that. So devil was made in perfect in wisdom and he fell and he says, if these two can come together. So he's trying to come together with the soul of man to see if that combination can fight God and win. Okay. And the soulish man also realizes there is another power with smarter brains than me and if I can come together with him and win here. This is this unholy union that has been. So Watchman Nee has written an incredible book called The Latent Power of the Soul. Okay, so always this is what the Tower of Babel and all is. They are not building it up to the heavens, mean God's heavens and all. They are creating a portal to reach out to the second heavens. That is what that thing is happening in Europe. What is that thing called? Yeah, no, it was just a portal. They want portals to open into it. But you don't need that scientifically. There are places here where there are portals which are open. But they come together. The power from there and the power from here, the human soul. Okay? And that is what Genesis 6 will say. They were giants. A real union with sons of God and daughters of men. And they were giants. And if you know, that's how we always say, you know, the other term, like you have, giants are there in every civilization and the Scandinavian and European civilization, they were not called giants, they were called titans. So we say this is the titan of the industry and this is the titan in business and titan or giants, okay? And all these giants, one day when God reveals everything, we will realize they became giants, not because of God, but because of other sources and other powers. So in the kingdom of God, please don't try to be a giant. We don't want gigantic ministries also. Just stay hidden. Okay, it's a very dangerous. So if you have a watch and it is Titan, just look at the time and forget the name. Okay. Okay, so a lot of people need to realize, no, that's why we do not want success other than the way God gives us. We have to be very, very careful about that. Success thing should not be there at all because once you putting success first, you are open to witchcraft. You are open to witchcraft. The God exalt. Okay. So the alive spirit comes and you are open again. <coughs> now I said soul is the life of the body. Spirit is alive. Spirit is alive. Spirit is now nice and silver. Spirit is back, light hand. But the soul has to be saved. Spirit is alive. 
Meaning that side you are saved. By grace, by mercy you are saved. Now the soul has to be saved. But the soul is where man makes all his decisions. Everything. Decisions, his thinking, his feelings, his affections, everything. Actually, let's say his heart. That is his soul. And in Proverbs 23 and verse 7, the second part of it, Scripture says, For as he thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's what man is. The issue is that his conscience also is in his soul. That's why without the spirit of God, or once the spirit left, man's conscience could be manipulated. Your conscience can be manipulated without the spirit of God. If you have to keep your conscience intact, you have to allow the Holy Spirit into your conscience. Otherwise, your conscience can be manipulated. Man, Like I said, man had a knowledge of God in his soul, but as time passed on, the knowledge is getting lesser and lesser and lesser. All of junk is being added by realm 2. And when the spirit is absent, Romans 1 and verse 28 says, told the mind is in the soul, this is what God does. Even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge. They didn't want to retain God in their knowledge. So what did God do? God gave them over to a reprobate mind. If you don't want to retain God in in your soul, God says, fine, I'll withdraw from there. I'll withdraw from your knowledge. But when God withdraws from our knowledge, we don't realize our mind becomes reprobate. Reprobate. It's a br- maybe a brilliant mind. Be a brilliant mind, but it's a reprobate mind. Like if you go to universities and listen to their, uh, I'm, I'm talking not about science, I'm talking about uh, humanities. Some of the best, brilliant minds are reprobate. All this stuff that is happening, which has been legalized, did not come in the parliaments. It came from the Department of Humanities. Homosexual theories, transgender theories, lesbian theories, all these are, and they are brilliant minds. Brilliant minds. Okay? But the mind is reprobate. Okay? Because God is not there. Now his mind is serving the flesh to do those things which are not convenient. His mind is serving the flesh. So like I said, our spirit was saved by mercy and grace. Now our soul has to be saved. First Peter chapter 1 verse 9. First Peter chapter 1 verse 9. Receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your soul. So your spirit was saved by mercy and grace. Your soul is saved by faith. That is where the works of faith comes. Okay? This is where the works of faith comes. And that is what James is talking about. If your faith does not have works, it is dead. Your soul won't be saved. Your soul won't transfer. Your mind will not get around. The main major important part of your soul is your mind. For the renewal of your mind. And that's what Paul is referring to in Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12. Work out your salvation with what? Fear and Trembling, be very, 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 very careful. God's salvation for our soul must be worked out before God with fear and trembling. Means 
never trusting in one's own ability. Never trusting even your own mind or your own understanding. Don't lean on your own understanding because it's been manipulated by realm to the demonic. So you have to be very, very careful about how you're working out the salvation of your soul with fear and with trembling. Don't trust your thinking. That's why God says one thing first, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. Holy, acceptable. It has to be holy and acceptable because otherwise what will happen? God has will give you over to a reprobate mind so you will do things which are convenient for the body. So first offer the body over there. Otherwise if you don't offer your body, it will affect your thinking. It will affect your thinking. It will affect your thinking. If you go to Isaiah 55 and verse 9, very important but familiar verse for us. For as the heavens are higher than the earth. First is, I mean, we, we can't even imagine how high heaven and earth is. Physically talking about the distance. So God is saying, giving us a similitude. So are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. So he says, do you understand why you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling? There is, my thoughts are so far apart from your thinking. The way I think and the way you think. My ways and your ways don't match at all. Don't even presume you know my ways. Don't even presume. Without my spirit, without my word, you will never understand how I think and how I function. So the danger Christianity has faced over the past 50, 60 years is we were taught a very easy religion. Easy religion was preached to us without realizing the daily battle for our soul we lost. Forget Gentile nations like ours. Look at Christian nations. Look at Europe. The battle is lost. Education has been completely taken over by the other side. It's nothing of Christian element in education anymore. That means we have lost the battle for the souls of our children. Gone. Okay. And now the last standing place is US. There also battle is raging. Public schools, like private education is very expensive in US. So it's public school. Public school, it's been taken over completely. Universities are taken over completely. We lost the battle. Now the Harvard professor who wrote this week is talking about that uh, in the midst of this coronavirus, no, she's writing that homeschooling should be banned in U.S. Okay, now the next, their target is homeschooling. Why? Because if you homeschool, then Christians again have autonomy of what to teach their children. The state wants to take that away. Ultimately, by taking homeschooling in Europe, the state has already declared the child is not yours. Child is not yours. You know, this is how theories are connected. If you say that abortion is a fundamental right, then government will say that the child is also not yours. And it ma my logic works. Logic works. You want to kill your baby? You want to destroy your baby? Then that means the baby is not yours. It has no value. So then the babies that are born, we will tell you what to do with it. It belongs to the state. It doesn't belong to you. So if you want to teach it something which is contrary to what the state says, we will take your child from you. It's not your child. This is how theories work. 
danger of thinking. God says, it's how the Christian nation is absolutely, totally taken over by the demonic. Because these are all ideas. Daily battle is for our mind. You have heard it so much, but again, whoever has your mind, ultimately has your body. He has your soul and he has your body. This is the renewal of our mind God is talking about. Renewal of our mind. Surrender your bodies, renewal of your mind. In Proverbs 8 and verse 36. 8 and 36. He that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. Okay, he says, you understand, he says. Whatever is not of faith is sin. Understand? So he says, when you don't walk by faith, you sin. And when you sin, you are, you are harming your own soul. The spirit is standing this side and untouched. He says, I am from God. I am from God. I got nothing to do with this. You are hurting, you are harming, you are wounding your own soul. In First Peter chapter 2, verse 1, 11, 2, 11, when Peter says, we are looking in the terms of soul and soul salvation. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. They're all warring against his soul. He says, abstain. How do you live here in this world? Strangers and pilgrims. What does that mean? This entire world is a set of ideas. Political ideas, economic ideas, social ideas. It's an entire construct of ideas. Full construct of ideas. And the whole last 20, 30, 40 years, the entire work is to make the world into one set of ideas. And if you look at young people, if, if you look at outwardly young people, you go to US, you go to China, you go to Europe, you go to come to India, you go to Africa, you go to Japan, you go to Australia, they all look the same. T-shirt and jeans. They all look the same. Hairstyle is the same. They talk the same. The languages is kind of same. Different languages, but you know they are talking the same thing. They have already made a generation to look the same. Okay. But when the Bible is talking about, Bible's idea of politics does not fit in with the world's political system at all. Bible's idea of economics does not fit in with any economic theory. Any economic theory, it does not fit in. Bible has a different economic theory altogether. And no economic theory will fit into it. So if you try to fit into the world's economic theory, and already you are messing up with your soul. Because it simply does not work that way. Social ideas is that not. Social idea it is now. Now finally because of a virus they are talking about social distancing. But God had told us long time about social distancing. Meaning stay away from unbelievers. That is social distancing. Spiritual distancing. No? So that's what Peter is talking about. All these things are warring against your soul. Warring against your soul. It's not that we don't go to the unbelieving world. We go. But we go as a stranger, as a pilgrim. Even if the unbelieving world is your own flesh and blood, we still go there and they will realize you are a pilgrim. We love them. They may love us, but they may not understand us. 
because we are pilgrims. We are Avalek, we are pilgrims. So let us go further and see how Jesus came. Jesus came to redeem us and redeem ours, make us whole again in Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. Jesus came like Adam came. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even them over that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is a figure of him that was to come. Adam was a figure of Jesus Christ who was to come. Okay, so that's how Jesus came. Hebrews 4 and verse 15 talks about Jesus, how he lived. Because that's our pattern. Remember, we have only one pattern, that is Jesus Christ. 4.15 For we have not an holy, uh, high priest, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, we leave that, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Why was he tempted at all points and still remained without sin? What was the reason? We need to get a reason. How did you manage? Because you were born of the spirit and you had the Adamic flesh. I am born of the spirit and I have the Adamic flesh. You were tempted at all points. You did not sin. But that is my struggle. How did he? Answer is given in that same chapter, two verses earlier, 4.12. 4.12. The word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit. So what did he do? He lived by the word, the living word. So the living word by which he lived cut between the soul and the spirit and he always knew what was coming from the spirit and what was coming from the soul. And he lived by the Spirit. He knew it. We don't know. Sometimes it's our soul speaking and we think it is Spirit. But he was absolutely sure to see that he allowed the Holy Spirit to take the Word of God and cut it very... It is not the devil came and tempted him like that. The devil is speaking in his soul. He's putting a thought in his idea. It is written, if you are the son of God. It's discerning very clearly. This voice is in my soul. This is not from my spirit. It is written. And when he finally quotes, he realizes, that scripture is coming from my soul. It's not coming from my spirit. It is also written. It is also written. We change the whole narrative thinking that they are sitting on two chairs and having a conversation. No, it's all happening inside in the realm that is inside. And the word of he had learned, he had trained himself how to distinguish what is coming from the soul and from the spirit. Not only that, because the word of God, that is the living word of God, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. So you know what happened? He could also discern the thoughts and the intents of his heart and not only his word, his thought, the intents, everything he could bring it in line with the Spirit of God. We don't allow the Spirit of God to work on our intents, meaning our intention. We can say absolutely the right thing, but our intention may be completely different. Our intention could be right, our our thought could be right, our word could be right, but our emotion may be wrong. 
motion could be wrong. No. This is to which he comes. We read Isaiah 55 and verse 9, his ways and thoughts. So there is one man who walked on earth who bridged that gap. Your thoughts are my thoughts. Your ways are my ways. So 55 verse 11 is actually talking about him. About him. So shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth. Can we, we can go back to NKJV, okay? It shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing which I send it. Who is that? It is Jesus. It is Jesus. It never returned void. It achieved the purpose for which it has been sent because he is not functioning from the soul. He is receiving it from the spirit, the soul is understanding very clearly this is from God and causing the body to obey it. So, the salvation of the soul is our daily process. The intents, the thoughts, the words, everything coming in alignment with the word of God and the spirit of God. Because as a man thinketh, so is he. So is he. And then our ways start changing. This is by faith and faith alone. Spirit is saved by mercy and grace. Soul is saved by faith alone. That is why God said, my just shall live by faith. My just shall walk by faith. And faith comes from hearing. Faith comes from hearing. And hearing from the Word of God. Hearing is the Holy Spirit. The Word of God is what is given to us to see that we don't cross boundaries. A lot of things we do not have to hear because we have already heard it. We have already heard it. It's in the Word of God. We have read it. We digested it. We already know it. But in a day-to-day walk, there are things which we have to keep hearing for the salvation of our soul until it becomes life. What we have already heard and has become part of it, has become part of our life. There, the spirit and the soul are in alignment. Lot of stuff. But there are still lots of area which needs to be saved. In Hebrews chapter 10, it's all talking about the soul. Verse 38 and 39. 10, 38 and 39. Now the just shall live by faith. But if anyone draws back, Ah, not my spirit. It's my soul. will have no pleasure with your soul. Understood? God also has a soul part. Though he is a spirit, he has a soul part. It's also an invisible thing. Where he also thinks. Okay, where he also thinks. He says, my soul has to agree with your soul. And the only way is that you walk by faith. Then my soul is in agreement with your soul. My spirit is in agreement with my spirit. The spirit of God searches the deep things of God. And my spirit speaks to your spirit. And when your soul understands it and walks by faith, then my soul and your soul is in agreement. But we are not of those who draw back to perdition, but those who believe to the saving of the soul. Can draw back, go into perdition, or go forward and keep saving your soul. We're getting it. This is 
the salvation of our soul. So our lives have to now match the living word. Or else we will be deceiving ourselves. Okay? Now if you go to Psalm 119 and verse 7, 19 and verse 7, there it's used the law. We understand in the new covenant it's the spirit of the law. I praise you with the, not 119, 19 and verse 7. 1, 9 and verse 7. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Okay? It's a law of God that converts the soul. So we meditate, meditate upon my law day and night. Okay? We are not looking at, it's not like a lawyer learning law. Even when he's learning the law, he's understanding what we don't understand. The students who study law, Deepika, if you are hearing, they learn law and mug it to pass an exam. But when you go to the courtroom, that doesn't work. You have to understand what the law means. Now suddenly the law is life for you. Your client will go to jail or get out if you understand the law. Okay, so that's what he's talking about. So there is the law written, but within the law is the spirit of the law. That is what you sets you free. And that is perfect. And what does it do? It converts the soul. So otherwise what will happen? Thou shall not kill. Okay, I haven't killed, but your soul is not converted because deep inside you're a murderer. Inside you're a murderer. You're not only killing because the law is there, restrictions are there. But your murderer spirit, your angry spirit hasn't changed. In your soul you are still an angry person. So the law of the Lord is perfect. What does it do? It converts the soul. It converts the soul. Meaning, your mind is changing. Your thinking is changing. It's also affecting your affections and intentions. Otherwise, the letter of the law, your affections and intention don't change. Only your action is changing. Affections and intention are still the same. You still hate the person and you still want to kill him. You don't want to kill him, you are hoping somebody will kill him. Okay? So please understand what the transformation of the soul, the word of God, your soul part is being saved by faith. In Psalm 41 and verse 4, Lord, be merciful to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. So what does sin do? What does sin do? Sin wounds your soul. It wounds your soul. The soul is wounded. And the church is full of wounded people. Full of wounded people. Okay, that's why Jesus first Words, the Spirit of the Lord has anointed me to heal the brokenhearted because church needs healing. Because the soul is full of wounds. Full of wounds. But the problem is this. We don't diagnose the wounds of the soul properly. Because, because the soul is still controlled by the flesh. I am able to identify all the ways you have sinned against me. But I am not able to realize the wounds of my soul are primarily where I sinned against God. Not what others did to me. You know why people don't receive healing in the church? Because they are still looking at, oh, you don't know what he did to me, that did to me, that is Naomi. 
Where is God able to heal the wounded soul is David. Against you and you alone, I have sinned. And God is able to heal it. God is able to heal it. You know, because we make a big deal of what others did to us. And therefore, God is not able to heal us. When we should make a big deal of what we did to others and to God. Then the word will heal us. In Psalm 107 and verse 20. That is how the word starts healing us. Psalm 107. He sent his word and healed them. And delivered from their destructions. Otherwise what will happen? You are moving into destruction. The enemy comes to kill, to steal, to destroy. Okay, He sent his word and healed them. God says my word will heal you. First, my word will show, cut you through. Will you accept my word when it cuts you through and says, he or she is not the problem, the problem is you. And Cain will walk away. Problem is not me. Problem is Abel. Okay, now you are moving to your destruction. But now you, the consequences is coming. I have to punish you. My punishment is too much for me. It's moving towards his destruction. Well, his word is there to heal us. But before the word can heal us, like surgeons will tell you, before they can heal you, they will cut you open. That's what a surgeon does. Why is a surgeon cutting you? To heal you. He's not cutting you to kill you. No. Every surgery, the intention behind it is to heal you. What does the word of God do? It's quick and living. It's like a double-edged sword. It cuts and it goes beyond the spirit and soul, separates the spirit and says, now listen, everything that you're talking is coming from you. It's not from me. It's not from me. It's not from me. You're not justifying yourself thinking your spirit is speaking to you. No, I'm not speaking to you. What I'm speaking to you, if you were to listen, you will be healed. In this situation. Because once you are a Christian, have been walked as a Christian for many, many years, you know scripture very well. So you'll always use, you'll use scripture to justify yourself. And God says, that's not from me. That's not from me. You listen to what my spirit is telling you. See, Joseph was wounded by so many that it left no mark in him. Because he refused to wound his own soul soul by sinning. By against them or against. He refused. Do you know when he stands before the Pharaoh or when he talks to the, the cupbearer and the butler in the prison, he'll never mention how he, who sold him or how he reached the prison. He never mentions anybody. Never mentions. My brother sold me. This woman falsely accused me. He never mentions because he just will not own his own soul. He will not. So you need to understand this is the truth what God is talking about. In Psalm 34 and verse 22. 34, 22. 
the Lord redeems the soul of his servants. None of those who trust in him shall be condemned. He says, you just trust me. You just trust me. Doesn't matter what others have done to you. Vengeance is mine. Your way of accusing, it's also taking vengeance in your hands. Just leave it alone. Leave it alone. I will redeem your soul. And how do we, how do we allow God to redeem our soul? By trusting Him. Meaning, by keeping our eyes, New Covenant Version, keeping our eyes fixed on Christ Jesus. Our mind, our thoughts, our intentions, our feelings, everything fixed on Christ Jesus. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Then you were raised, if then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on. It's, it's a very, very like uh, grammatically, it doesn't make any sense at all. Because if you are raised with thing, with Christ, then obviously I'm thinking of things above, right? If I'm seated there, then my eyes are also there, right? No, he says, no, you're, you're here. You're here, you're right on planet Earth, in this physical realm. But you have to think thoughts in your mind in such a way that you're seated with him. Seated on the right hand side of God, meaning your life is hidden in him. Set your mind on things above. If I am above, then my mind is above. But I am on earth. I am on my. I am on earth. So think what? Heavenly thoughts. What does it mean? If you are on earth and you are going through a situation, how would heaven think about it? That is Joseph in Potiphar's palace in the dungeon. This is how heaven would handle it. That's why God is with him. And he's able to hear from God. This is how you reign. They may call you a slave, but you are reigning in righteousness through grace. They may call you a prisoner in fetters, but you are reigning. Do you remember the vision I gave you? Once the vision I gave you, you are a king. Physical reality will happen one day, but you are already a king. The day Samuel anointed David, David was a king. Reality will happen 10 years later, 12 years later. But he's already a king. So if you believe you are a king, then you have to act like a king. And how do you act like a king before you get your crown there? You reign in righteousness. Your thoughts? I'm in this situation. How will heaven deal with this situation? How will heaven think? That is how it is. If you don't, what will happen? You will sin against your own soul. Your own soul. You end up sinning against your own soul. And what happens? You give power to the powers of darkness. Are you getting the picture? Do you not understand why Jesus reiterates in the Lord's prayer, forgive, forgive, forgive. If you do not forgive, then your Father in heaven also that is righteousness. That's the nature of the kingdom. And what will happen? You will be tormented. Why? Your soul is being wounded again and again. And the enemy has power over your soul now. 
The enemy understands my kingdom very well. He knows it's a kingdom of righteousness. The scepter of the kingdom is righteousness. So he knows if he can get you not to forgive, then righteousness automatically will start working and your soul is wounded. That's why it is that one thing God says, forgive. Because if you don't forgive, you will be tormented. You will be wounding your soul. Unforgiving poop. People are full of holes in their souls. Maybe that's a good title, holes in your souls. Do you have holes in your souls? There's some great man who said, unforgiveness is the poison you drink to kill somebody else. It's true. It just kills you slowly and you're not even. So God says, how do you guard your soul and walk by faith? One, don't sin against the other. Two, forgive all who sin against you. And move on with life. Keep moving on. Your soul is fine. That's why Joseph is prospering everywhere. That is what the apostle will say in Third John. I pray, brethren, wish above all that you prosper in all things as your so, because it is possible to prosper in all things with your soul a mess. Mess. That's why rich people commit suicide. Famous personalities commit suicide. They would say, they have reached everything and then, no. And also, so many successful people are miserable people. Because why? Soul hasn't prospered at all. Soul hasn't prospered. This is what is the very subtle but very powerful lie that came in through the prosperity gospel. Psalm 106 and verse 15. Let us have KJV. Six or five, I think it's Psalm 105, no? Anyway. Yeah, he gave them their request. What is the prosperity gospel based on? You can ask and receive it. You know, and God will give it to you. You can name it, claim it, confess it, and get it. Does it work? Yes. But what happens in the process? Your entire soul is messed up. Entire soul is messed up. Well, the scripture talks about the other way. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Everything you need for God is added by you. Your soul is prospering. It's being healed. It's being restored. And God is redeeming. And if you look at the soul has a huge space. It's more and more and more and more. The glory of God is shining from the spirit into the soul. Your soul is being redeemed. The salvation of the soul is taking place. That's what God is talking about. When you walk the way God has asked you to walk, you know, I told you again, main thing about the soul, there are different things about the soul. First is interpersonal relationship. Interpersonal relationship, the most important part is forgiveness. Walk in forgiveness. Because it will mess your soul up. Because you cannot truly love or care or have affection for somebody you have been forgiven. Okay, interpersonal relation. Keep on forgiving. Keep on forgiving. Second thing, we have so many fears. Trust God. With every fear, trust God. 
you have to trust God. That is where the promises comes. Depending upon each area the soul is agitated, there are promises of the living God in the Bible. They are incredibly precious, unmole, precious, exceedingly great and precious promises. Through them, you get the knowledge of God, you partake of His divine nature and escape the corruption that is in the world through lust. Okay? So that is how the soul is renewed. Soul is renewed. What is the area you are struggling with? But the problem is, faith has word, it has works. Lord, I struggle with finances, Lord. Then you say, Holy Spirit takes you. Am I not your provision? Am I not your reward? Everything. Yes, Lord, I believe. And then he says, give. Because that is the working part of it. That is the working part of it. Now, the rubber has to meet the road. Do you really believe? Lord, give me some more time, Lord. <laughs> when I have some more, I will give, he says. No, that's your soul speaking. That is your soul speaking. That's not your spirit speaking. That is your soul. Again, this is okay. It has got a life of its own. That's your soul speaking. Because the soul, when it is connected to the body, imagine this as the soul and not to the spirit. When the soul is connected to the body, it will only go by sight. When I have, I will give. When the soul is more on this side, it is, it's by faith. I don't have to have. God has said and that's enough. And you will always know which way the soul is moving. When it is moving that side, the body will go with it. When it is moving this side, then it will tell the body to walk by faith. But the first thing you have to do is put the body on the altar. Offer your body. Don't move. Don't do a thing until I tell you. Just shut down. Put your body down there. Because this body will either go by sight or faith. So the thing is that you have to hear. Your mind has to be renewed. Little by little by little by then you will know what is the good, the pleasing and the perfect will of God. That's the redemption of the soul, the salvation of the soul. So please, please understand. Once we start walking like that, you know, where the soul is hearing from the spirit and you're walking by faith, you have power over the powers of darkness. See, whenever people think about powers of darkness, it's about binding and loosing and casting out. No. They don't influence my thinking and my actions. It's as simple as that. People don't realize that is the primary thing. I don't have to go around that. The other one is a ministry. And most people don't have that ministry. You're not called in the ministry. Or if it comes into your place, you try it, you'll see it works. But the first and the main part of power over powers of darkness is that you bind their operation in your mind. It doesn't work. I know. Okay, okay, okay. The Holy Spirit says, that's not from me. It's not from within. Where did that come from? You? I'm not listening to you. I'm not listening to you. Okay? One is, one is your personal life. The other is your ministry. Let's leave ministry alone. 
That's a different thing altogether. That is where the name of Jesus Christ works. The ministry what works? In personal life what? The word of Jesus Christ works. One is the word, the other is the name. And many will come to me saying, Lord, Lord, in your name. He says, yeah, but where is my word? You workers of iniquity. You never over, overcame the powers of darkness in your thinking and therefore in, my, in your ways, in your life. You were part of that. I do not know you. The word says, I do not know you because your mind, there is no word. In your soul, there is no word. Your thinking is warped. You are thinking like the devil and acting like him. And you have used my name. Okay, those are extreme cases, okay? Don't fear anybody sitting here, okay? <laughs> don't fear, because whenever people hear things like this, immediately palpitations begin, okay? We have a doctor here, don't worry. Okay. So don't worry about exercising this in ministry. That is secondary. That's not what is important. What is important is, how are you exercising that in your thinking? Who, who controls your thinking? Who controls? Okay, one second, Sammy, quickly do it. It's making me uncomfortable because right against my mouth. Okay, I love you. Wait, okay. It is this one that is moving. This one. Done? Okay. Okay. Huh, it's still moving. Okay, it's okay. Let's look at the picture. Old Testament pictures are given for us saints, for New Testament realities. There's a man called Daniel in the book of the Bible. He's done nothing wrong. The entire law of the land has been changed for one man. One man. He goes and he prays. He's thrown into prison, into the lion's den. Okay? And he's thrown into the lion's den. Next day, the king comes. Listen to the answer. Daniel chapter 6, verse 22. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. That is the powers of darkness we are fighting. In his case, lions. Why? Because I was found innocent before him. I haven't sinned against my God. And also man. Also, king, I have to know, done no wrong before you. Therefore, my soul is unwounded. Therefore, the powers of darkness have no power over me. My soul is whole. I haven't sinned against him. I haven't sinned against you. So the lions can't do anything to me. The Lord came and shut the mouths of the lions. KJV is very interesting. KJV will say, innocency was found in me. Some of the language is like, if you've done a literature background, those language will be like, sounds like Shakespeare in your, but Shakespeare is not as good as the word of God, okay? For as much, they have not hurt me, for as much before him, innocency was found in me, and also before thee, O king, have I done no hurt. Hello. I haven't hurt, hurt anybody. Therefore, I haven't hurt myself either. And the powers of darkness have no power over me. The lion represents the devil, right? That's what God is talking about. This is the test of faith. This is the test of faith. Okay. If you turn to verse 23, 6, 23. 
Now the king was exceedingly glad for him and commanded they should take Daniel out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no injury, whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. His thinking was that. Absolutely clear. I'm going to the lion's den. I haven't wounded, sinned against God. I haven't sinned against man. My God is with me. I trust him. With the powers of darkness, I trust him. He will keep me. I trust him. I'll be fine. That's what Hebrews 11 and verse 33 will say. By faith, they shut who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions. It's by faith. It's by faith. And God is telling us too, when there are so many lions who try to harm you, you don't sin against God. You don't sin against man. You don't worry. In a period of time, God's angels will shut all their mouths. That's how you put it here in our personal life. We are not thrown into a den of lions. Lions are all around us. All kind of accusations, stuff. They'll say, zip your lip. Do your work. Don't wound your soul. Don't wound your soul. That is why God is not able to redeem Naomi. Every time she opens her mouth, she was wounding herself. She's wounding herself. I went full, I have come empty. Don't call me Naomi. Call me Mara. She wounded herself. And God cannot redeem her. Ruth keeps her mouth shut. When she opens her mouth, where you go? I go. Your place, my place. Your people. <laughs> now going to my eyes. Okay. No, it's okay. It's okay. Okay. It's not uh, disturbed. Hmm? So, um, that's entertainment for those who are watching, especially the chil- for the children. Little ones will say, the microphone is going to Apacha's eyes. They will say that. <laughs> it's okay. Okay. Yeah, if you can give me the hand one, it's fine. Okay. In the, in the meantime. Did you see? Stopped the mouths of the lions by faith. All these things you do. How do you subdue kingdoms? Kingdoms of darkness. How do you subdue them? How do you work righteousness? How do you obtain promises? How do you stop the mouths of lions? This is all connected with your soul. Old Testament, these pictures were one thing. New Testament pictures are something else. New Testament, we are fighting the battle in our mind. We are subduing kingdoms in our mind. How many kingdoms are there? We are subduing political kingdoms in our mind. We are subduing economic kingdoms in your mind. We are subduing social kingdoms in your mind. Because all kinds of advice people will give and our mind also gets messed up. Parents will come and say, no, you need to do like this because that is your sister. No? No. That's a voice. Very important voice. Like Sarah came and said, no, I am barren. Hagar is there. That's the closest voice. Which will create nations. It's a very powerful voice. And you will always realize the devil knows that he never went to Adam. Never went to Adam. He went to Eve. He never went directly to Abraham. He went to Sarah. And where Sarah spoke, there is no division between the soul and the spirit. And Abraham is thinking that must be God. That must be God. Next time when Sarah says, throw the boy out, he says, that must be you. God said, no, this time it's me. It's not her, it's me speaking through her. Because I cannot speak to you directly because your soul is too much yoked with that boy. 
So I have to speak through her because her soul is not yoked with dirt. Her soul is yoked with promise. So I have to speak through her. You have to understand how these things work. Subdued kingdoms. What are kingdoms there? We worry always. Yeah, it's working. No, that. Will you know the sound there? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. <clears throat> Are we getting the picture? The financial kingdom. Can you subdue that kingdom in your mind? Can you? Subdue that kingdom in your mind? Can you work out righteousness in the midst of iniquity? Can you obtain promises where everything looks dark? Can you stop the mouths of lions? This is a redemption of your soul. And the main part of the soul is how you think. As a man thinketh, so is he. As a man thinks, so is he. That's the difference. And if you look at Daniel chapter 6 and verse 24... 24. And the king came the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel and cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives. And the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Why? Because there was no innocency found in them, not even in their children, their minds had been taken over by the thinking of the world. So the powers of darkness overpowered even their children. That's how you have to read it in our context. Children are overcome. Why? All they are doing is watching movies and playing games. So there in their thinking, they are already overcome. Men, women and children, the whole family, everybody at different levels, things are the same. There's no innocency found in them. So, they're sinning against God and against man. And the powers of darkness has complete power. Broke all their bones. What did they do? It doesn't say they ate them first. It says broke all their bones. What does bones stand for? It stands for truth. That's for doctrine. The doctrine cannot stand in the day of hour of trial. It's all broken. What you were thinking, the truth on which your mind is working is broken into pieces. Absolutely broken into pieces. The day of evil has come. The day of testing has come. The bones are broken. Because remember, Alicia, uh, sorry, um, can this uh, bones live? Ezekiel. Can bones live? There was bones. He took into a value of bones to start something back in a church. If it's a church, if it's a believer, he needs to have some doctrine. <laughs> Where there is no doctrine, there is no salvation. <laughs> there are bones. There is no flesh, no tendons, nothing. He says, can these bones look? And he said, you know, Lord. He said, yes, now prophesy. And the bones come to all doctrine. is all fallen into pieces, all mixed up. 
No, elementary teaching is also not there. So when he speaks over it, it starts coming into place. Yes, repentance from dead works, faith towards God, doctrine of baptism, laying of hands, it starts taking shape. And then you keep on speaking it, prophesying over it. The Spirit of God is to bring the whole person back to life. But bones had to be there. Because you're talking about believers. If the soul has been completely dried up. Soul has completely dried up. And that's what God is talking about over here. How do you live? What has been neglected by the church is the salvation of the soul. And what has been, what, what I would say is that highlighted by the good, what we say, mainline Baptist, the teachers, the other side we talk about, Charles Stanley, John MacArthur, Paul Washer, all of, they focus on this. The teaching on this is excellent. Excellent. How to walk in righteousness, all those things, how to guard your soul. They're very good at that. One side of their teaching is excellent. Not the walk by faith in a different level, no. But otherwise, they're excellent in guarding your forgiveness, all those things. They're very good. Very good teaching. Teachings are excellent in those things. About kindness, about mercy, all these things they teach very well. They're very well. That is why I said we have to listen to whole spectrum to see where the kingdom of God is working, the spirit of God is working. But overall, the church has neglected the salvation of the church and it has primarily come through the subtle witchcraft of the prosperity gospel. God is trying to save us from the world and to see that we, our minds are not attached to the things of the world and they came in back through and made it the will of God as this. And using one scripture from here and one scripture from there, built an entire doctrine about prosperity. The only people who got prosperous was them. Change your thinking. So this has to matter in the soul, the main thing. Philippians chapter 4 and verse 8. Finally, brethren. It's an act. It's an act of your mind. Whatever things are true. Whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, first, in all these things, you have to see if there is virtue in it. There are many things which are good with no virtue. There's no virtue in it. Okay? Reading is good. Reading is an excellent habit, but reading novels, after some time, there is no virtue in it. Is it wasting your time? <laughs> reading is good. Reading novels, there is no virtue in that. You are wasting your time. Sometimes you can read to relax your mind, but after that, you will you go on like that, you will see you have a relaxed mind. Nothing is happening. The mind is in on a so relaxed that God cannot speak to that mind because the mind is now on this, what do you call it? Huh? Yeah, not a hammock, hammock, hammock. Roller coaster would be terrible. <laughs> okay. So, what is virtue and what brings glory to God? Praiseworthy. Okay. Please understand every area of our life, 
thinking matters. And Philippians 2, 5 will say, have this mind of Christ Jesus, which is talking about the attitude of the mind. How you see attitude is full of humility. Never fighting for equality. Humility. Intention is good. And the thought is the will of God. Humility, intention, and the will of God, the word of God. That's the first statement he makes before he came into this world. The volume of the book, it is written about me. Oh Lord, I have come to do your will. That's the first thing, the will part of your soul hooks onto it. I will do the will of God. First that is, if any man wills to do, it's all part of your soul. Please remember, if any man wills to, first thing is you go in and grab it and says, I will do the will of God. Then God will give you the thoughts that what goes along with the will. And then you ask the Holy Spirit to give you the attitude and the intention that goes with it. Clarify me, Lord. Each of these things matter. Otherwise, you can do the will of God with a very stinking attitude. And you will see in many places, officers, excellent, efficient employees, but nobody wants to be around them. That also cannot. Everybody wanted to be around Jesus. Everybody wanted to be around Joseph. They are not nasty people. Because efficiency is there in the world too. That is not what the Bible is talking about. So these are all similitudes in the Old Testament. All similitudes in the Old Testament. So we saw in uh, past uh, days when we studied, Saul is a type of one whose spirit was regenerated, actually. A type in First Samuel chapter 10, 9 to 11. His spirit was regenerated. So it was when he turned his back to go from Samuel, the God gave him another heart. And all those signs came to pass that day. And scripture says, when they came there to the hill, there was a group of prophets to meet him. Then the spirit of God came upon him and he prophesied. So he gave a new heart and the spirit came upon him. So it's a type of regeneration which happens. Light has come in there. But he would never work out his salvation of his soul with fear and trembling. He never aligned his intents or his thoughts with the word of God. So he drew back and he drew back and he drew back until perdition. You can't blame the spirit. The issue was with his soul. And then the spirit will leave him. So we have to allow the Holy Spirit to see life through the prism of God's word, which is God's will, or our soul won't be redeemed, cannot be redeemed. We have to allow the Holy Spirit to come upon the word we hear or we read and see everything through that eyes and the soul has to receive it and practice it. Man's spirit is saved by grace and mercy alone, but his soul is redeemed by the works of faith. It has to be the works of faith. Got it? In Romans 8, 23 to 25. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, grown with ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. There is a redemption of the body. For we were saved in this hope. 
when it comes to the body, redemption is hope. We have a hope, we'll get a new body. So there is the redemption of the spirit, which went dead and dark, the redemption of the soul, and the redemption of this body. But if you come to Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 1, Faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Here faith and hope is brought together. So what is the hope of the redemption of your body? That is 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 to 18. That is where faith comes and hope comes together. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Every day you realize your outward man is perishing. But the, problem, the issue is not that. The issue is that, do you have the hope of a new body? That comes if you are also aware by faith, every day your inward man is being renewed. That is faith. The work that is happening inside is faith. The work that will happen outside one day is hope. That hope is directly connected with faith. If nothing is happening inside, your hope is false. You will get a body. But nobody will want to see that body because there will be no glory in that body. Christ would have never grown there. Till baby, baby Christ. You getting it? That hope and that faith is directly connected. This is the hope of the salvation of the body. Now faith and hope are connected. In 1 John chapter 3 verse 2, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This is the hope of the body. But verse 3, how do you know it's real? Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself. Faith is working. That hope without faith is false. If we have a hope, one day when I see him, I will also be like him. God says, then purify yourself. Do you really believe? Do you really believe? Then work at the redemption of your soul. Because your status of your soul is directly proportional to the hope of the body you are going to. Because as stars differ in glory, so will the saints. Okay? You know the status of your soul? Yes. That will be the body you get. Status of your soul, everybody knows where you are standing. So, Salvation of the soul is the most important and it is by faith and faith alone. And the Holy Spirit is given for that. He is the guide, he is the counselor, he is the teacher and he is also the power. Counselor, guide, teacher who leads you into all truth and he is also the power. Okay, power. And ultimately it is all comes from a mind that is whole. A mind that is whole will only have a single tongue. A mind that is divided has a double tongue. So when on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, it came as? How did it come? Cloven tongues. Why? Because the mind is divided. Now the mind has to be purified so the voice, the words will be whole. But when the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, it came as a dove which symbolizes peace because he is whole. There is no sin in him. 
he doesn't need cloven tongues anointing because his mind and his tongue is one, single. And he's absolutely walking in peace. So the Holy Spirit comes like a dove over him and not has cloven wings. Okay, you have to look at patterns in the Bible and what is God talking about. And he says, that is how it works. And therefore, John 3, 24, uh, 34 also says, yeah, 34, 3, 34. God could also, for whom God has sent, speaks the words of God, for God does not give the Spirit by measure. Meaning, Jesus was filled without measure. Again, Lord, fill me. He says, how can I fill you? Your soul is still messed up. The degree in which the Holy Spirit can fill you is directly proportional to the wholeness of your soul. Because the entire work of the Holy Spirit is on your soul. <laughs> and your soul is 90% in darkness and 5% in light. That's all the Holy Spirit will be able to work in you. So continuously being in fill with the Holy Spirit is continuous as your soul is getting into the realm of light. And the whole, it's like a house with many, many rooms. You're putting on the light, the light, the light, the light, the light, the light, the light. There is light and there is works and the Holy Spirit is coming in and taking over. And it's your soul. And that's where we struggle. And the enemy knows, like again telling the enemy knows, the simplest thing is first, unforgiveness. Because people will all wound you. Impossible to walk through life without being wounded. Unforgiveness and then pride. Finished. Khattam Finished. Yes, you are locked in. Because the unforgiveness is not the difficult part. It is to humble yourself and forgive is the difficult part. Pride and unforgiveness comes together. It is a block. Because first thing you have to accept is to forgive somebody. You have to humble yourself. And people will walk away. Die like that, sadly. They just barely make it if they are saved. So every aspect of Jesus no, is controlled by the word of God and the spirit of God. So he is able to say, my father has never left me alone because I always do what? The things that please him. And what pleases God? Shaykh. Nothing else. So his entire life is walking by faith. And faith comes from? And he's able to hear very clearly what's coming from his soul and what's coming from his spirit. He's able to distinguish it very clearly because he allowed the Holy Spirit to cut through the soul and the spirit and he's able to distinguish what is from his soul and what is from his spirit. And even if it is from his soul, he's able to keep it because his soul is completely saturated by the spirit and the word. There is no self in his soul. So Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 to 3, as we come to the last 10 minutes. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of the heavenly calling, consider the apostle and high priest of our confession, Christ Jesus. He said, consider him. He is the high priest of our confession. Look to him. Who was faithful to him who appointed him as Moses also was faithful in all his house. For this one has been counted Worthy of more glory than Moses in as much as he who built the house has more honor than the house. Okay. So Christ has more glory, more honor than Jesus Christ. Why? 
because of his mind, because of his soul, how he worked on his soul. Let's look at that picture the next 10 minutes and close. David ruled for 40 years. 40 years. Israel. 7 years from Hebron, 33 years from Jerusalem. He faced lots of battles, internal battles. First with his flesh, then with his products of his flesh, his children. Poor fellow. Okay. <laughs> that is how. So many battles he faced. Faced rebellion, had to run from the city, all kinds of stuff he faced. At the end of his life, there's one more son called Adonijah. He decides to make himself king. You know, through a big party called everybody except Solomon and a few of the king's loyal people. But Abhyadar and all went that side. Okay. That is when Nathan interferes, Bethsheba comes. First Kings chapter 1, 33 to 39. David is very old, he's very aged old man. He calls his close, he said, said to them, take with you the servants of your Lord and have Solomon my son ride on my own mule. Take him down to Gihon. Let Zadok the priest and Nathan the prophet anoint him king over Israel and blow the horn and say, long live King Solomon. Then you shall come up after him and he shall come and sit on my throne and he shall be king in my place for I have appointed him to be ruler over Israel and Judah. Benaiah the son of Jehoiada answered the king and said, Amen. May the Lord God of my Lord King say so too. As the king has been with my Lord, the king, so even so he may be with Solomon and make his throne greater than the throne of my Lord King David. So Zadok the priest, Nathan the prophet, Benaiah the son of Jehoiada, the Cherites, the Pelethites went down and had Solomon ride on King David's mule and took him to Gihon. Zadok the priest took a horn of oil from the tabernacle and anointed Solomon. And they blew the horn and all the people said, Long live King Solomon. Why is this important? Because he is the builder of the house. God was raising up the builder of the house. Solomon means peace, man of peace. Okay, please remember. God is also raising builders of the house. To be builders of the house, you need to have peace. The peace that passes understanding. We are talking about spiritually building God's house. You cannot build God's house unless you have peace. He's a man of peace. He will build the house of God. Okay. What is interesting is, Saul received an anointing from the flask or veil or whatever you want to call it. That was the 30-fold, how I would like to term it, anointing to break that donkey's nature, which he didn't. So he was disqualified. That's what Paul is talking about. After having preached, I should not be disqualified. After having ruled for 40 years, he was disqualified. He was disqualified because he did not use that anointing 
to break his old stubborn nature. David received what I call the 60 realm anointing from the horn. He was given power and authority. So he came through all that suffering realm and he broke self. Even in the last minute, he's breaking self. He'll decide this is a son because God had told him. So he overcomes. Solomon's anointing is different. Solomon is anointed from the oil from the tabernacle. A horn of oil from the tabernacle. Not like David. He was, that was a horn Samuel was carrying. This is the horn of oil from the tabernacle. Not only that, he is anointed in the presence of Nathan, Benaniah, and by Zadok. Now the only oil used in the tabernacle, the oil that is kept is where to light the lamp. That is why he receives the spirit of wisdom and revelation. That is why the wisdom literature is from Solomon because of the anointing he got. David received an anointing from the horn so he had power and authority and won all his battles. This guy will get the horn but from the tabernacle, holy place. So wisdom literature is all his. Okay. He will also be king, so he has a kingly anointing. He will be anointed by the priest, so he has a priestly anointing. He is anointed in the presence of the prophet, so he has a prophetic anointing. And the chief of the bodyguard is with him, so he's got the protection of the Lord also over his life. That is his life before he goes kaput. But we leave that aside and look at how he is. Verse 33, if you go back. The king also said to them, take with you the servants of my Lord and have Solomon, my son, ride on my own mule. The mule is a product of a male donkey and a female horse. Male donkey and a female horse. Okay. Uh, female donkey and a male horse is a hinny. It is not a, it is not a mule. Okay. If I'm right, it is, yeah. Uh, uh, the female donkey is called a hinny and the male horse is called a stallion. What you get is a jenny. <laughs> okay. The mule is a female donkey and a female horse. So you know what happens? The donkey's nature is broken in the mule. The mule is a very calm animal and it can carry much more burden than a donkey or a horse. That's why mules are used by the army. Mules are used by the army to carry. They are very calm. They are not like a donkey. Donkey have to be very careful. Don't walk behind him. You never know when he will kick you. Okay? But the mule is a very calm. Army, all armies in the high ranges and all, even now Indian army, Pakistan army, all use mules to take their load up. Okay, mules. So mule is very calm and he can carry the burden. So Solomon is not riding a donkey. He's riding a mule which can carry the weight of building the house of God. He is a man of peace. He has overcome the donkey's nature. He is calm and he can bear the burden of building the house of God. So that's why King David will say, take him on my mule, not on my stallion. Then he will be a warring man. He knows he was disqualified from building the house because he was a man of war. So not on my horse, not on a donkey. Let him go on the mule. He's a very wise man even in his old age. Okay? 
So we have all these pictures in the Bible. In First Chronicles 22 and verse 5. Okay. David. Okay. It's 22 and verse 5. Now David said, Solomon, my son, is young and inexperienced, and the house to be built for the Lord must be exceedingly magnificent, famous and glorious throughout all countries. I will now make preparations for it. So David made abundant preparations before his death. In the 60 realm, that is David, 60 realm, he made before he died plenty, all the preparations to build the house. So when God takes you from 30 to 60, the 60 realm is the preparation realm so that in the 100 realm you can build the house of God. You are the house of God. Please remember, you're not building something outside. The 60 realm man is preparing everything so the 100 realm man can build the house of God. You cannot be lazy during this phase and then, oh Lord, I want to reach 100 realm. God says, but you did not use this time. Why was it so easy for Solomon to build? Because his father worked everything and kept it ready. So we have to look, look at these three as the stages of a man. The 30 realm is to bring your flesh to subjection. 60 realm is to bring your soul under control. Suffering realm, soul under control. And 100 realm is when you become a whole man, where you have become the temple of the living God. And that's what David is doing. In verse 11, 22 verse 11. Now my son, may the Lord be with you. May you prosper and build the house of the Lord your God as he had said to you. If you go to 22 and verse 9, it's interesting. Behold, a son shall be born to you who shall be a man of rest. I will give him rest from all his enemies all around. His name shall be Solomon, for I will give peace and quietness to Israel in his days. This was a promise given to David even before he was born. You realize? It's a promise given to every child of God who is sitting here and who is hearing. My peace I live with you, labor to enter into my rest, and I will give you quietness. In your soul. And all the spiritual enemies, I will give you rest and victory over them. You don't have to worry. They will not be able to touch you. We're not talking about physical realities here. We're talking about spiritual realities over there. How you can become a Solomon. Solomon is a spiritual picture. Where all your spiritual enemies leave you alone. They may use flesh and blood like all the apostles. But spiritually they couldn't do anything. Nothing couldn't touch them. They couldn't touch them. And they, Paul and all, literally built the house of God and built the house of God inside also. Inside and outside, they built the house of God. That's This is the promise given to Solomon. The promise given to Solomon is a promise given to every child of God. And he says, he who is the builder of the house has more glory. No, not Moses. Moses could not build the house of God. But Christ is the builder of the house of God. And it is Christ who is in us, not Moses. It is grace that is in us, not the law. Unless we see these pictures, we will miss out that major part of our soul. What is salvation? What is salvation? Salvation, one, spirit has been enlightened. Now work on your soul. That you have to work with fear and trembling. 
really fear and trembling because your soul is totally can be manipulated by the world and the spiritual realm. Totally. That is where you have to be absolutely gung-ho about the word of God. Who you listen in the word of God, interpretations, because there will be a lot of people who will come and speak the word to your flesh and draw you that side. You have to be very, very careful. Okay, very, very careful. These are the things, that's why we say always put a premium on your soul. Amen? Let us pray. Father, this evening we just come to you, Lord. We look to your word, Lord. Your word, it's all there, Father. It is all there, hidden, but revealed. These are overcomers, the picture of overcomers. Those who have brought their soul to the subjection of the spirit. And the body to the subjection of the spirit and soul. One whole man before God. That's why truth and grace is given. The life of Christ duplicated in a million people on earth. That's your testimony. And I pray during this season, as we go through this season of lockdown, it will be incredibly beneficial to the soul. Yes, the body hates it. But the soul, I pray, Father, will be nourished. And I pray, Lord, all those who are wounded in the soul have known today. It's not what others did to you. It's what you have done to yourself. When God says, let go, it is so that through his word he can heal you. Whether it's a husband or a wife or a child or a father or a mother or an employer, it doesn't matter who it is, God says. Just let go and move on. Forgive them and move on. The word of God will heal you. Your soul won't be lean. Your soul will be strong. Like the second generation that entered the promised land. They said Moses to Joshua, all we say is this. As Moses was with the Lord, only thing we ask is, the Lord is with you. And any man who disobeys your word, let him be killed. That's a generation, a thought life. Every thought that rises in opposition to our spiritual Yeshua, we will kill it. Bring it to the obedience of Christ Jesus. Every thought which the Spirit shows does not agree with the life of Christ. Many thoughts may agree with the Word of God outside the life of Christ. But the Word of God is not enough. The Spirit has to show it does not agree with the life of Christ. We will bring it to the obedience of Christ. House of darkness will have no power over our thinking, our mind, our feelings, our intentions, our motives. I pray, Father, we will learn this each day, learn to walk in it. This is the life you have promised. This is the life you came with. For I have come to give you life, life in abundance. And we will have rest from all the spiritual enemies. 
because they will not be able to touch us. So this evening I speak healing into wounded souls. Forgive and let the balm of Gilead flow. Let your wounds be healed in Jesus' name. Let there be a deliverance of your soul. Let the tormenting spirits leave your souls. Forgive and ask for forgiveness from God. Especially those who came out of the circle. Forgive. Maybe it is your father who programmed you. Maybe it is your parents who took you to the lodge. Forgive. But the devil meant for harm. God will turn it around for good. It was his own blood brothers who sold him into slavery. It was his own master to whom he was unbelievably faithful who threw him into the prison without seeking an answer. But he let go. Forgive. Forgive the masters who programmed you. Forgive the people who used your bodies. Forgive. Let go. Forgive. And for the others who were not part of the circle, whatever has cost, whatever you are going through, forgive. Let go. Don't even retain those people in your mind. Forgive and let go. Let them go out of your mind. Let them not control your mind. Pharaoh is dead. Egypt is gone. But let not the Pharaoh and the Egypt control your thinking. Don't let them have power over your thoughts. Let God and the Spirit alone have power over your thoughts. Let there be peace in your mind. God has said, the peace of God that passes understanding, even in this situation, even in this lockdown, even if it goes for the next two months, it will still guard your mind and your heart and therefore bring healing into your body. Peace of God. Take authority in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Abind every power of deception, every power of darkness, every power that opposes the kingdom of God in the hearts and minds and lives of your people, I command you to leave the children of God now in the name of Jesus. And I speak healing and I speak wholeness into their lives. Be healed in Jesus' name. Be made whole in Jesus' name. Thank you, Father. Thank you. We once again declare, Thine is the kingdom, the power and the glory forever and ever, Lord. Thank you, Father. For in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. With the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, rest and abide with each one of us. Amen and amen.